Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Alvid Kahl and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship and building in public. This episode is called Entrepreneurial Anti-Patterns, What to Avoid When You're Starting a Business. First, a word from our sponsor. MicroAcquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace. It's simply the most efficient way to sell a startup when you're ready to make your next move. And as a Bootstrap Founder, you invariably run into... A time when you may think about selling a business and whether it's new opportunities knocking at the door or another passion project taking off or just having some life changes. In the case of Christopher Tung, who is the founder of Reporty, and that's a Shopify app that sends various order notifications to Slack, what led him to decide to sell his app was a life change in the form of a new baby boy. And when it came to selling his app, other platforms didn't have great visibility for microsas businesses like his, but MicroAcquire was different and offered a diverse range of buyers with an appetite for startups like Reporty. And after listing on MicroAcquire, Chris fielded up to 40 buyer offers and ultimately found the right buyer for a five-figure exit and a 5x ARR multiple. So if you're thinking about selling a startup like Chris and don't fit the exact bill to list on other marketplaces, MicroAcquire could be the best option for you. The buyer community there that they've cultivated has an appetite for smaller apps and microsoft businesses as well as bigger e-commerce and SaaS startups doing millions in revenue so having helped hundreds of startups get acquired and having facilitated hundreds of millions in closed deal volume microacquire is still just getting started so check out microacquire if you're thinking about testing the market at microacquire.com and now let's get started they say that all roads lead to rome uh, well Reality proves them wrong, and who are they anyway? Because when you look at successful businesses, we see many different approaches that got them to where they are today, but we can also notice the absence of several strategies that don't seem to create reliable pathways to success. And when it comes to actionable advice, sometimes knowing what to avoid, what not to do, is more helpful than being told what to do. So let's talk about the business strategies that don't work well for bootstrappers and indie hackers, what they are, why they don't work, and what to look for instead. Let's start with the number one fear of every entrepreneur, the copycat. We're all afraid that someone will take a look at our business and create a competing clone. This is the number one concern of everybody building in public right now. And occasionally, someone actually might set out to clone your business. But then, that competitor quite reliably and quickly fizzles out. Clones rarely and almost never grow into anything that would resemble a real business. I certainly don't recommend creating a clone of a successful business yourself because you're setting yourself up for failure. That's primarily due to a few structural restrictions there. When you clone a business, you clone what you can see. And it's the tip of the iceberg. Your vision of their business is severely limited. For a SaaS business, for example, you can only see the front end of the product, the user interface. You have no idea what complexity lies on the server side of things or what processes need to be in place to solve the problem efficiently. And particularly if you're not an expert in the industry of the business you're cloning, you're taking a dangerous road. You have no idea what the future holds. You don't understand the market dynamics and you can't foresee what problems you'll face during the next months. Just copying a product is the easy part, but creating a well-oiled sales machine around it? Now that's more challenging and it requires understanding the whole industry. Not speaking the language of your customers, and that's a common occurrence for opportunistic business cloners, now that will hamper your efforts to create a brand that people actually resonate with. There's no, if you build it, they will come. 
you'll need to convince prospects to check out your product through your marketing efforts and then yelling the wrong things at your audience, that will quickly make them look at other products. It sounds easy to clone a product. And sometimes it can be, particularly if you're a capable technical founder. Most software products can be cloned within a day or two, maybe sometimes a week if it's more complicated, but the business, all the processes, the decisions, the designs, and the experimentations that went into it, now that is something much harder to accomplish without having deep insight. And that's something you can't fake. Now, building a Twitter clone to learn a new programming language or web framework, that's a fun project, but it's not a business. It's a technical learning opportunity, but not a great candidate for a sustainable business. And finally, the most important reason why building a copycat is terrible is that you're not bringing any innovation to your market. There's no differentiation, and what you're building is nothing that someone else couldn't easily copy themselves. And setting yourself up to be cloned isn't a great foundational choice. And this also means that it's generally a good idea to avoid following best practices to the letter. And after all, everyone else has access to these rules as well. So if you want to build a moat for your business that helps you repel competitors, you might want to make a few changes to the rulebook that you're following. And this is not about zigging when they sag. It's more complicated. It's about understanding your market and its internal structure, really. Just enough to see an opportunity for you to be unique. For example, consider that almost every single SaaS business out there uses Stripe for its subscription payments. Even though Stripe is an amazing and developer-friendly solution, it comes with limitations. It doesn't support crypto payments just yet, and you'll have a hard time using anything but credit cards for payment. No PayPal, right? So this means that most SaaS businesses out there won't support PayPal or Amazon Pay for their transactions. So by looking for alternatives that support these methods, you could make your kind of business available to whole countries that don't have easy access to credit cards or segments in your market that can't pay with them. Or consider a business process like offering purchasing power parity prices. By implementing this kind of location-sensitive pricing, people in India pay less for your product than people in the United States. And you're putting that on your product's pricing pages, you can equally expand your business's reach. At the same time, everyone else plays it safe using the regular old practices, and you stand out. So don't just do as everyone else has been doing all the time. Find something that you can be unique in. And don't try to build a business in the same market as everyone else either. You'll find it very hard to compete with billion-dollar businesses that have higher budgets for their daily Google ad spend than you have cash in your bank account. If you want to stay competitive, pick your fights in an arena that will allow only combatants of your size, or a little bit smaller, maybe a little bit bigger. Just pick a niche that is small enough for you to build a business in without immediately competing with the industry giants. And ConvertKit is an excel excellent example here. They're an email marketing platform. And they're competing with ActiveCampaign and MailChimp and HubSpot, big names with lots of funding behind them. But instead of charging them head-on in the business and competitive business, ConvertKit focused their marketing efforts on creators from the start. So instead of trying to be the email solution for everyone, they picked a niche that they understood well and could capture a lot of attention. From there, they bootstrapped to $2.5 million in MRR right now. It's incredible. And while it's essential for your initial niche to be small enough to allow for a solid tribal audience, where people are connected, where people talk to the, about the same things to each other in this hierarchy, that's kind of what a tribe is, at least the uh, definition of Seth Godin, you need to make sure that you're not picking a niche that's too small. You won't be able to build a business in a niche that only has a few hundred potential customers unless you charge a lot of money for each of them. But then again, that might be a better niche for you. 
to capture even more of a market. So picking this hyper-specific niche can be enticing because it promises you the opportunity to solve one particular problem with a really well-tailored solution, but you will run the risk of under-provisioning your potentially addressable market. And the addressable market is also something different from the market, the whole market. Just because there are thousands of designers out there looking for jobs at the moment doesn't mean that they can shell out $50 a month for an invoice tracking tool. Design agencies might be a better audience for that tool because they have a more reliable kind of throughput. And if you want to help, self, help self-employed designers, well, you better learn how much budget they have for solutions to their problems before you build something that they might not be able to afford. And you'll find markets where no matter how good your solution is, your prospective customers just can't pay for it. Trying to force your business into this market will cause your journey to be a hard and deprived one. And that's something to avoid. The best way to see this coming ahead of time is to see what other paid tools and services have established themselves in that industry over the long term. So what businesses have been able to survive in this industry? How did they do it? What do they offer? And at what price? How did their price change over time? Look at that stuff. And if you have access to a member of your would-be customer base, just ask them. Ask them what they are currently paying for, how much their budget for that is, and what they used to purchase in the past but are not purchasing anymore. The numbers you will get from this conversation will give you a sense of what's possible to be charged for in this industry, in this space. So if you see that people are reluctant to even to pay for the most basic and often impactful necessities, even though like these things could make their life a lot easier, they're still not wanting to pay for it, consider moving up market or shifting your target market into a higher budget category. Now, finally, let's take a look at churn the silent killer of all SaaS businesses. And when a customer cancels their subscription, your churn rate goes up. And if a new customer joins and decides to renew, churn goes down. These are the two movements that churn can really go into. But you need to understand that even though uh, churn moves up and down, there are two different kinds of churn. There's preventable churn and structural churn. And that's important to know because it limits or allows you, depending on where you look from where you look at it, what you can do about it. Preventable churn happens when someone chooses to cancel because they are moving to a competitor or they don't use the product enough to warrant the price. Preventable churn is something that you could prevent, technically, if things were different. But structural churn occurs when your customers go out of business or they take a paternal break or move on in their careers. Structural churn happens when things happen that you have no control over. Things that are institutional, or work on a societal level, or just part of somebody's journey, like becoming a parent. It's not something you can prevent. It's definitely something you shouldn't want to prevent, but it happens. So imagine you're building a SaaS solution for up-and-coming actors to find their first gig in the movie industry. And there's a clear happy path, and a happy path churn here that you can't avoid. When you want to be actor, actually succeeds and gets that gig, becomes an actor that gets signed by an agent, they won't need your business anymore because you helped them get there or, and, or you elevated them into a new cat- career category. That is a kind of structural churn in a sense that you can't really prevent it because people want to get there. And once they get there, you're not needed anymore. But there is a hidden kind of structural churn here too when you build such a product. Because every month, a certain percentage of actors-to-be decide to call it quits and then they get a real job. They hang up the actor hat and they venture out to interview for other occupations. They cancel your business. They cancel their subscription to your business because they don't need your SaaS anymore as well. 
So there's happy path churn where these people get a job as an actor and they're happy and they go on and cancel. Or there's the systemic churn of people who just do something else. And both are kinds of churn you can prevent, success or failure. And it's pretty likely that the actors calling it quits outnumber the ones that make it big in the industry. That's a statistically traceable part of reality for every sector. Structural churn like this can be measured and should definitely be a part of your decision-making process on whether to take a shot at solving problems in this particular industry. Churn itself is unavoidable. Just as you will get new customers, some will leave your business over time for whatever reason, but you can learn as much as possible about how they're, yeah, how, what happens, how, what there is to be expected for your field. And mind you, there's always going to be unexpected things that will cause your customers to cancel. Some policy shifts in their business or in, in the whole society or technological breakthroughs that could trigger mass cancellations that you might struggle to prevent because now people are using a completely different tool and you're not keeping up with it. But structural churn is visible from miles away. You just have to observe your industry. So make sure to look out for it. And here's the thing. There's a chance that even if you were to build a copycat business that implements every single best practice in a much too huge market with barely any ability to pay and structural churn beyond 50%, you still might be able to run a successful business out of there. But when you compare that to a uniquely differentiated business that solves a clear problem for a niche with enough growth potential and a solid budget for novel solutions with very low structural churn, now you might find that your chances of success are much higher for the latter. So set yourself up for success by avoiding the well-trodden paths that went nowhere. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Boots of podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you'll find my book, Serious Assault and the Embedded Entrepreneur, and my Twitter course. Find your following there as well. If you want to support me and the Boots of podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.